Good morning, everybody. It's great to be with you today. I was raised in a Christian denomination that taught me that God was primarily focused on my behavior. I was taught that God was really interested in what I did and what I didn't do. He seemed to be somewhat concerned that I lived in an appropriate way and that it was always about my behavior that God was going to respond to. However, things changed for me when I met the Lord uh, when I was 25 years old. I put my trust in Jesus and everything changed. And I found that Jesus actually was not primarily focused on my behavior. What I found was that Jesus was primarily focused on wanting to help me. I found that he wanted to have a heart-to-heart relationship with me and that he was concerned to help me become who I am and in becoming who he wanted me to be. So my relationship with the Lord changed very dramatically from what it was like as a child to what it is now today. My story was that I ended up at university and by the time I'd got to university, I decided that God was irrelevant. I decided that the Christian faith was really more about binding people up and trying to hold them accountable to a whole bunch of standards that they could never reach. And so I drifted towards a Marxist philosophy and ended up becoming a student politician. As such, I used to sit on the lawns of Sydney University and argue with Christians, showing them that their faith really didn't make much sense in a scientific and a logical world. And as I went through those arguments, I seemed to be able to comprehend what I was saying, but also wanted to argue with me that their faith was something that was very real to them and had changed their lives. We always got to this precipice where they stepped away from logic and reason and went across into a place of faith, which left me isolated. As I walked away from those conversations, the one thing I didn't realize was that they were praying for me and that the God of heaven and earth would actually encounter me and come into my life. My life spiraled out of control in 1982 and I found myself in a church meeting where I was wanting to make sure that somebody else didn't get corrupted by the Christian faith. As I sat in this church, it was a Pentecostal church and I felt like I'd walked onto the set of a Blues Brothers movie. It was very unusual from all of my experience in the past. And as I sat there, there was something that was taking place that was going well beyond my thinking and way beyond my logic and was beginning to touch the inner part of who I am. I sat through the morning service intrigued by what I was seeing. I came back to the evening service. And during the evening service, the pastor was praying for people and they were falling over. I'd never seen anything like this in my previous Christian and church experience. As I watched them falling over, my head was telling me that he must be pushing them over or he was touching a nerve on the back of their neck. But we got to the end of the meeting and as as happens in many Pentecostal churches, the question was asked who would like to give their life to Jesus, who would like to become a follower of Jesus, who would like to put their trust in Jesus. I found that my left hand went up and my head looked at my left hand and pulled it down thinking religion is an opiate for the masses as I'd taken on a Marxist perspective. My right hand then went up and I was very confused in my head. The call then was if you raised your hand I want you to come out the front to pray a prayer. My head was screaming at me that I'm not going to go out the front as my legs carried me out there. I stood with my feet apart knowing that the pastor wasn't going to push me over and I'd get the center of gravity in my favor. But after I'd prayed the prayer, I closed my eyes and without the pastor touching me, I fell flat on my back and I cried for an hour. I'd become a Christian. I'd become a follower of Jesus and everything had changed. In that time, I realized that I'd made a whole bunch of mistakes in the past and that what I thought was logically and scientifically rational was no longer the place where I wanted to live, that I'd actually found a relationship with a God who cared about me and a God who'd forgiven me. 
There's a man in the Bible, his name's Lazarus. He was out one day and he was a tax collector and he saw that Jesus was coming past and he was small in stature, so he climbed up a tree so that he could see Jesus. And Jesus looked up into the tree and asked Lazarus if he could come to his house to have a meal with him. Lazarus was intrigued by this because Lazarus was known by others as a sinner. He was shunned and rejected by his culture. As a Jew, he'd taken on work with the Roman oppressors and was serving them rather than serving his culture. Jesus wanted to spend time with him because Jesus had an answer for him. Just like Jesus had an answer for me when I came into that church, I came in for one reason, but I left an entirely different person. We don't quite know what the reason was for Lazarus wanting to be around Jesus, but they did have a meal together. It's interesting, this story is captured in Luke chapter 19. And at the end of it, in verses 9 and 10, we read, And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Bible says that Jesus came to seek and to save that or what, depending on which version of the Bible you read. So Jesus said of himself that he came to seek and to save something that is connected to everyone. He came to seek and to save something that is a part of all of us. He came to seek and to save that or what which needed to be saved. The question then becomes, if he came to seek and to save something, what is that something that he came to seek and save? We find it in the verse before where Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. Jesus came to seek and to save our identity. He came to seek and to save us and restore us back into a relationship where we are sons of God, children of children of God. Here, I, I, here, Lazarus is referred to as the son of Abraham. He's the son of Abraham because Jesus is yet to die and rise again on the cross so that we could all become children of God. And so why would it be that Jesus would say of himself that he came to seek and to save our identity? The Bible talks about Jesus as being the second Adam, the first Adam we find in the book of Genesis in chapter 3. And in Genesis chapter 3, we find there's a conversation that takes place between Adam and Eve and the devil. This conversation, the devil comes along to Adam and Eve and he offers them what I call the great exchange. Adam and Eve were children of God. Adam and Eve were a part of the family of God. They'd been created by God and they walked with God. And as they walked with God in the cool of the evening, they did life with him and he gave them advice. God invited them to name all the animals. They were part of one family going about what was important to God. But then the devil turned up in the garden and he offered them an exchange. He said, you can be like God if you'll eat from this fruit of this tree over here. And so the devil was offering Adam and Eve an exchange to exchange their oneness with God for being like God, in being like God that they could make judgments. For those of us that have read the Bible, we know the end of the story, that they believe that they could be like God. And so they exchanged their oneness with God, being in the family of God. They exchanged their identity as children of God and took on identity as somebody who was able to make judgments. And they exchanged fathers, the Bible says. Jesus even says this himself in John chapter 8, that we are of our father, the devil, before we come to put our trust in Jesus and we become followers of Christ. We find here that Jesus is unpacking something that's incredibly important for us to understand about who God is and how he relates to mankind. God has always wanted to be a father to every human being. However, Adam and Eve put him in a position where he had to become a judge in the garden. Judges protect the integrity of things. If somebody robs uh, from your house, if somebody steals from your house and they're stealing from other houses in the neighborhood and they get caught, 
they're put before a judge and the judge protects the integrity of the rest of the houses in your neighbourhood by putting the person in jail. God needed to protect the integrity of the human race by putting them in a, by allowing them to be taken out of the garden so they didn't eat from the tree of life. If they'd eaten from the tree of life, then sin would have been inside of mankind for all time and could not have been redeemed. But God wanted to create an opportunity for redemption. He wanted to create an opportunity to become a father to mankind again. And so Jesus became the second Adam. Jesus came to the earth so that he might live a life where he was sinless, where he followed the Lord, where he had a heart-to-heart relationship with his Father in heaven, and that he showed us how we too can have a heart-to-heart relationship with the God of heaven and earth. Jesus made some very interesting statements about himself that help us to understand that his primary focus is on who we are and who we are becoming. Jesus in John chapter 8 makes this extraordinary statement that if we love him, then he will come and make his home in us. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Here we see that Jesus wants to actually come and live with us. He wants to come and be with us. He wants us to be in his family. In John chapter 17, Jesus prays before he dies and part of his great prayer is, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. So he's not just praying for his disciples who are with him, but he's praying for us. He's looking down through the time of history and he sees us and he's praying for us and he prays for us that we may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so the world may believe that you sent me. God wants us to be with him, to be in his family. And so Jesus, as the second Adam, came to restore our identity as children of God, that identity that was lost by the first Adam in the Garden of Eden. Jesus' primary purpose for coming was today salvation has come to this household. For the Son of Man has come in to seek and to save something that was lost. The something that was lost was our identity as children of God. We've created an identity around making judgments. We've created an identity around making judgments about the way other people live, about how they are perceived by us. Religion has made Uh, making judgments the core of the way it presents who God is as well. It was the way that I was raised, that God was interested in making judgments about my behavior. But what we find when we come to meet Jesus, when we actually put our faith and trust in him, we find that he is not a God who makes judgments about us, but he's a God who wants to help us, a God who wants to help us to become the person that we've always dreamt about being the one who wants to help us to step into places of peace and joy and love in ways that would turn us into people that make a positive difference in the world. This is a mystery that Jesus comes to live inside of us. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 27, Paul, the great apostle of the New Testament, says, To whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. The truth is, is that when we come to put our faith in Jesus, he comes to live in us. It's a mystery. It's a spiritual dynamic. It's a spiritual dynamic that is difficult to comprehend with our minds, but is a truth that I've come to realize is a reality in my life. I've now been following the Lord for the last 38 years, and everything in my world has changed. Everything has been turned into a place where I find great peace and joy 
where I find a love that is not a love of my own, but it's a love that comes from outside of me that believes in people, cares for people, and wants to see them reach their full potential. Paul, again, in the book of Galatians, in talking about this mystery, describes it in another way. In Galatians chapter 4, he says, But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And so the law is the Old Testament. The law is all focused on our behavior. It's about making judgments. And so Jesus came because he wanted to show that God wants to relate to us, not through a place of judgment, but through a place of love. It was necessary for Jesus to come that we could be adopted as children of God. Because you are sons, verse 6, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, And so here Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in us. He's in our heart so that we actually begin to relate to God as a loving father, Abba Father, the one who believes in us, the one who cares about us. And verse 7, Paul says, Therefore you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. To be an heir means that we have an inheritance. I had the experience of my mother tragically dying in an aeroplane accident in Burma many years ago now, and she left an inheritance for me, which has enabled my family to buy a house and for us to have our own home. When we receive an inheritance, we receive something that we have not earned. It's something that we receive because of the relationship we have with the one who left the inheritance for us. And the truth is, is that Jesus has left us an inheritance. Jesus has left us an inheritance that we can become like him that we can be a person of love, a person who releases the life of heaven here on earth, a person that walks with God and has a personal relationship with him. And so I found that when I put my faith in Jesus, when I put my trust in him at the age of 25, everything changed. I began to realize that the way the world describes God as being interested in our behavior, wanting to tell us what is right and wrong, is actually an expression of religion. It's not an expression of the way that Jesus wants to relate to us. Jesus wants to relate to us as a brother, as a father, as a friend, as one who wants to empower us and one who wants to help us. This has been my experience now for 38 years. It's an experience that those that I used to argue with on their lawns of Sydney University would talk to me about. It was an experience that I couldn't understand with my head because it's a spiritual dynamic. Today's the day of Pentecost. In the church calendar, today is the day where the church remembers when the Holy Spirit came to 120 believers in Jesus in an upper room in Jerusalem and changed their lives. My story has this buried inside of it as well. Three days after I made that decision to follow Jesus, three days after I cried my eyes out, realizing that I'd been wrong and that everything had now changed because the one who loves me the most had come into my heart. I was lying on a couch reading the Bible. It was making sense for the first time. I really hadn't understood it up until then. And I put the Bible down on my chest to think about what I'd been reading. I was all on my own in the house. And as I put the Bible down on my chest, I felt my body being overtaken by a power where I felt like I could pick up a car and throw it off the edge of a cliff. In this moment, my tongue started rattling around inside of my head uncontrollably. I had done enough psychology in my social work degree to know that that was not normal human behavior. I began to think, I wonder what on earth is happening to me. Maybe I'm losing my way psychologically and emotionally. 
I waited for my friend who'd led me to Christ to come home and he opened up the Bible as I'm about to do and described to me what it was that I just experienced lying there on that couch. In the book of Acts, in chapter 1, we find Jesus speaking to his disciples, speaking to his friends before he's about to ascend into heaven. And he says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you have heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then in chapter 2, we find the experience that Jesus promised actually takes place. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of the fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. I'm a Pentecostal because God made me one. I wasn't looking for it. I wasn't pursuing the experience. I didn't know anything about this experience. But as I followed God over the last 38 years, he continually turns up in my world and brings me experiences that shows that he's real, show that he's alive, and shows that he cares very deeply about my life. Not only that he cares about my life, but then those experiences are transferable. As somebody who leads a church, the greatest hope in my heart is that people who are a part of every congregation across this great city of Melbourne would be able to have experiences with God because he wants to reveal himself to us. He doesn't want to be far off. He's not a judge. He's a father. He's a father who cares. He's a father who draws close. And on this day of Pentecost, it reminds us that Christianity is actually a spiritual experience. Christianity is a spiritual experience before but not without having a moral code or having ethics buried inside of it. And as followers of Jesus, we are concerned to release that spiritual dynamic to those around us. Many people think of Christianity as a bunch of rules and regulations, a bunch of do's and don'ts. Many people think about Christianity as a God who is in heaven and is wanting to punish us. But Lazarus was somebody who the Jews punished. Lazarus was one who was seen as his behavior was inappropriate, his behavior was incorrect. But Jesus took the time to hang out with him. Jesus actually wanted to have a meal with him. The extraordinary thing about Jesus is that he's actually not focused on our behavior, but he's focused on our heart. The wonderful thing about Jesus is that he actually wants to help us to become the person that we dream about being. We all want to love others well. We all want to live with great hope. In this time of COVID-19, where things have changed dramatically, Jesus is waiting to come and be there with us. He's wanting to sit with us. He's wanting to encourage us. He's wanting to empower us to see that the future will be bright again that for those that have lost their jobs, for those businesses that have lost their income, that he does have an answer. The answer lies in the future, but there is hope in the present. Today, on this day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is wanting to draw close to you. Today, on this day, where the Holy Spirit, we remember that the Holy Spirit empowered the church to be birthed and empowered the church to change the world. So the Holy Spirit is wanting to come to each of us and empower us to change our world, to change our circumstances, to be with us, to comfort us, to counsel us and to help us, because that's who God is. He is a helper. He is a servant. The most extraordinary thing about the God that I know is that he never asked me to do anything that he's not prepared to do himself. 
And so he was prepared to serve me. He was prepared to give his life for me, just as Lazarus experienced a change of identity. So when I invited Jesus into my life and put my trust in him, my identity changed. Things began to change in my world that I thought would never change because God comes to help. God comes to serve. And as today we remember the place of the Holy Spirit in Christian spirituality, as we remember the Holy Spirit as the third person of the triune God who created the universe, the triune God who knows the deepest desires of your heart, as we remember the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you to realize that he cares for you, that he believes in you, that he has plans for you and that he's going to do something great in our lives as we continue to negotiate this COVID-19 with him. You might be listening to me this morning and you've never actually put your faith in Jesus. You've never put your trust in him. I can only commend him to you. I can only highly commend Jesus Christ as the one true God and as the saviour of the world. How can I do that? Well, because I've met him. It's not a, theolo- it's not a theological conversation for me. It's an experience. Like those students who sat on the lawns of Sydney University and argued with me, I now am able to have conversations with people who find it difficult to believe some of the tenets of the Bible. And I too am able to say to them, I know they're challenging to believe. I can still remember all the reasons why I shouldn't be a Christian. I still know all the logical reasons that make my faith seem unreasonable. The problem is that I've met him. And like Lazarus, who met Jesus and changed everything, he began to relate to people in a different way. He began to give back the money that he'd stolen. When Jesus comes into our lives, things change, and we begin to treat one another in ways that we never thought were possible. I would want to ask you today to seriously have a conversation with God in heaven and say, God, if you're real, would you show yourself to me? Like you showed yourself to Lazarus, like you showed yourself to Peter, would you come to me? And would you reveal how good you are? If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, my uh, recommendation to you, my commendation to you at this time of COVID-19 is continue to put your faith in him. Continue to put your trust in him. Continue to be a person who reads the word. Dive into the book of Psalms and find there where God continually comes to those who are in lament. Lament is a part of our spiritual life. Lament is a place where we say to God, I'm not coping, I'm not doing so well yet will I trust in you. In this COVID-19 time, the King of heaven, the God of heaven and earth is there to help you. Allow me to pray with you this morning as we come to a close. So Father, I thank you for the way that you changed my life. I thank you that you are a father to me. I thank you that you are not a judge. You are not one who wants to punish, but you're one who wants to set people free. I thank you, Lord, that on that great day of judgment, when I stand before you, that I will be cleansed and pure in your sight because of the work that Jesus did in dying for me and that my sins have been forgiven. I pray, Lord, for those this morning who are yet to put their faith in you. I pray for those who would want to put their trust in you. I ask your Holy Spirit, would you visit them on this day of Pentecost? Would you come to them and would you draw them to yourself that they could see the wonder of who you are? Holy Spirit, I pray for your people today. I pray that that you would be with them as they're struggling, those, Lord, who are maybe anxious, those who are uncertain. I thank you right now that you would touch their hearts with peace, that you would touch their hearts with hope, that you would, Lord, open all of our eyes to see how good you are and how wonderful you are. We bless you today, Lord, and we thank you for the opportunity of not only knowing you, 
but of walking with you moment by moment and day by day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.